Temporal Agents Log, Stardate Irrelevant. Welcome to the Temporal Investigations Archive. Join me as I re-watch all of Star Trek in complete chronological order, from outside existence to the Big Bang, all the way to the ends of the universe. This may be the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise, doing what no sane entity has ever done before. I'm your host, Dan Hitch. Welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8. We're reviewing a small segment from The Q and the Grey. Similar to how we did with The Emissary, we go back and forth between reality and outside time. So we'll be giving a few timestamps today. In this episode, we are reviewing, effectively, a direct sequel. Even though in some of the episodes with Deep Space Nine, we've had a continuation of the story, this seems to be a proper sequel to a previous segment. So this sequel is in relation to Death Wish, the fallout of whatever Janeway's decision, as we have actually properly watched the episode, whatever Janeway's decision was in deciding the fate of Quinn, the rebel Q who wanted to die. At timestamp 17 minutes 34 seconds, we will begin. We're greeted by the site of a uh, Southern American state mansion. Straight away, we've got Janeway in full Summersby gear. She is completely head to toe in the period costume of the time. She is a southern belle, she's got layer upon layer of dresses, and it looks very uncomfortable. Q appears as a Yankee officer from the Civil War. He says that this is no fantasy, you're inside the Q continuum. And that familiar trope, as we found throughout this whole season, whenever we're talking with a superior being, they always like to present this in a way that your fragile human mind can comprehend. So he's changed the way the Q continuum appears. Janeway already seems confused. She says, last time I was here, it was just a desert road with a way station. Uh, and Q kind of calls out that episode by saying, yes, it was rather dreary, wasn't it? Now, I don't know whether that was a bit of meta commentary. Voyager, which has throughout its production history, always faced some financial uh, struggles as it tried to sell itself on different networks and so on uh, as it went through. So perhaps that was... The writers almost calling out uh, how their their hands were tied effectively. But either way, he says he's giving it a bit more of a colourful representation of what the state of the continuum is today. He's showing everything as Civil War America. You've got the North and you've got the South fighting. Now, as a Brit watching this, we didn't really study uh, American Civil War history. It was an option uh, as far as the curriculum is concerned when we do our GCSEs and A-levels the school can choose certain areas that it can focus on for all of those uh, exams. Our particular school liked to keep things in European history only. Uh, when it came to uh, our A-levels, when it came to studying three different periods of history, our teachers chose French Revolutionary, Russian Revolutionary and World War Two. Now, that was a bit of a disappointment to me because there were so many other things that we could have studied at the time uh, and when you're presented with your exam paper you can actually uh, flip through all of the questions there are questions for everything because they are printed as standard and then given to all the, the schools throughout the, uh, the country so you're told to specifically turn to the areas with the questions relating to the period that you studied 
in our case, French, Russia and, and uh, Germany. Unfortunately, uh, you can also get to see all the questions for all the other things, and it looked so interesting. Uh, there is a, a period where it is civil war, the lead up, the events, and then the fallout as well, sort of looking at it from political contexts as, as well, uh, which always looks so fascinating to study. Now, I grew up, uh, my dad was a huge lover of American history. He really got into his cowboy era, primarily, but he loved Civil War movies, you know, your John Waynes and everything like that. So I grew up around it, but I always wanted to know a little bit more. Since leaving school, I've learned a little bit more about Civil War history, but I wouldn't say that I'm an expert. So I'm aware of the imagery, but to an international audience, this episode it can be a little bit off-putting. Because you're coming into it and you're seeing all of this imagery, which seems fairly familiar as it kind of permeates through quite a lot of American pop culture. But to us, it doesn't invoke that same kind of imagery. Now, Q even says it, he calls it out that he's he's making it more colourful in the Q continuum so that it, it, it gives Janeway a better idea of what's going on. But if we were to, say, get a British person, a British captain, who... Q has whisked away to the continuum. It would have been really great to see the British or English Civil War, uh, seeing Cromwell involved in it. That would have been fantastic to uh, to maybe get a little bit of money, bit of budget behind Voyager and shown uh, that kind of era. But we're in the American Civil War. It's an American TV show. I understand why. Uh, there's a great moment where Janeway wants to know that her crew are safe. She's more concerned with that than she is with what's going on in the continuum. Uh, Q kind of just uh, laughs off uh, Chakotay uh, and says, you want to speak to your first officer? Chuckles, is it? I love that he calls him Chuckles. That's probably my favourite nickname that Q has ever given anybody. Q is warning of this dire situation in the continuum. He's saying this has gone way beyond us. It's about not just the future of the universe, but the future of the continuum itself. He places the continuum so high. He goes on to describe how Quinn's death now, his death caused an interruption. It caused chaos. The freedoms and the individuals that he stood for, the teachings that he gave, inspired Q to start a freedom movement. Now, uh, Janeway says, oh, this is the cause of the supernovas. So when we come to the episode proper, we'll be reviewing what the outcome is on this. But we now know that there is some physical manifestation of what's going on in the continuum in our universe. Some of you may think that that makes it time adjacent, that we're seeing supernovas happen in our universe at the same time as this civil war. Janeway is sitting outside of time, yes. Does it have a bearing on our universe? Yes. But who's to say that it's just the supernovas that Voyager um, have encountered at that point in time? What if all supernovas, because of this battle happening outside of history, is also occurring in our universe at all points in time. So any supernova that ever happens, just that the frequency of them is so much more pronounced at the time Voyager encounters them. What if every supernova is the fallout of the Q Civil War? It's tenuous. Feel free to come back to me with feedback on Twitter that this shouldn't have been in there. But I'm thinking because she is outside our universe in the continuum, that's why I'm going to justify it as being outside time. Q's saying that this will be great, uh, that this that war is an engine for change. 
that the Civil War, the American Civil War, brought around an end to slavery. And that's something that I'm fairly aware of, again, as an outsider to American culture, but I'm fully aware that slavery was a large issue behind Civil War. The ending of, sl of slavery was a massive part of the fight and the battle, and the right to own slaves was something that the, the South were obviously fighting towards. The North wanted to abolish the, the minutiae, the de details, I'm afraid I'm not an expert, but I do know that having a war, having a conflict, did have this positive effect in the long run. Janeway implores him and says, but that only came about because that was at a time when mankind didn't know any other way but violence to solve its problems. Um, mankind now resolves its conflict without bloodshed. So she's straight away saying to him, war is not the answer. Even though you are fighting for your freedoms, it's still not conflict that you want. You want to find a different resolution. She does say, surely the Q have evolved to resolve this without conflict. Q, however, says he has found a way. He's got his own plan. Q wants a baby. He wants to make a messiah. Uh, and to that, I kind of go, what? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's very odd for me. Uh, watching this, watching this franchise, which is notoriously atheist, that you've got a character who is a god, who, it, you know, all play to it. Gene Roddenberry, who liked to profess himself to be an atheist, loved to bring in godlike characters. Who knew? Uh, but now we've got Q wants to make a messiah that he's almost thinking that perhaps a religion is the answer. So it seems very odd that an atheist franchise is arguing that. Now, this is beyond Roddenberry's time. I know that there was a different move. There are different people running the show. So we've got different views and opinions that perhaps uh, a religious aspect is a good thing. It's not something I share, but he seems to think that having a baby will save the day. But not just any baby. He wants to make a human baby. I'm going to copyright that. Cuman. That's it. Between Q and a human. Uh, his omnipotence, his intellect, and all the best of humanity put together. He's offering her to be the mother of peace. He's really trying to sell it. He is almost like a, a con man trying to get the best out of uh, his victim. Uh, he's really trying to sell it to her that she could breed this, this new era by having a human uh, change reality. Uh, he also says that having this baby would send ripples throughout all of existence. Now, this comes back to, again, my argument as to why I think this is outside time, that having a baby now would have consequences, not just in that moment in our universe, but throughout all of time. That somehow putting in an element of humanity into a human would ripple throughout all of existence and give everything a sense of peace and harmony. Now this could be an exaggeration on Q's part that he's trying to sell it so he's trying to just give it that little bit more welly um, or is he actually you know dare I say it by crossing the streams with another franchise but is he trying to rewrite the code of the matrix? Is he trying to change the fabric of reality through having a human by having a baby with Janeway? This conversation is then quickly cut short by Q getting shot and a god bleeds. We stop there at 22 minutes, 50 seconds. We then pick up at the next timestamp, which is 25 minutes and two seconds. There's more firing. Uh, Q is now fully injured. He is bleeding all the way down the arm. 
Uh, Janeway is trying to patch him up as best she can. She can't believe her eyes that a Q is injured. She didn't even know that could happen. Q uh, reinforces again that trope, the idea that this is only her perception of what's going on. This is not actually what your brain is seeing. This is a manifestation of the continuum that we hope falls within your level of comprehension. Those aren't bullets. Those aren't cannibals. These are Q weapons. So now we're introduced to this idea that the Q have a sense of technology, that there are things that they can make, they can and change. Uh, Q is saying that, you know, we've got this one immortal god uh, will come up with anything that they want to kill another immortal god. The firing stops. They offer a truce for Q to surrender. But Q doesn't accept, and he fires back with his pistol. He asks Janeway to join the fight, pick up a rifle from nearby and join in, but she says, this is not my fight. But Q does say, if this can make me bleed... Imagine what it could do to you as a human. Cannon fire goes off. The house is starting to rip apart. You can definitely see the 90s pyrotechnics uh, as it looks like an electrical explosion, not a uh, bomb damage. But uh, Janeway drags Q's body outside of the mansion and they run away. We stop again at 26 minutes, 54 seconds. And we pick up again at 28 minutes, 21 seconds. We're in a Yankee camp. We're in the North camp. Uh, there are many Q around them who seem defeated, deflated. Uh, they are sort of scattered around, um, sitting around campfires at night. Janeway is tending to Q's wounds and she's rubbing in. I think your side is losing. Uh, so she seems to be twisting the knife a little bit, even though she's looking after him. Q seems to take her looking after him as, the, as a seal of approval that she is going to have this human baby with him. But she says, not with me with that female Q who appeared on Voyager. Now that hasn't happened in this area, but because she's spoken about it, we can talk about it. He's saying, that's never been done. The Q don't even have a concept of sex. How boring. I definitely don't want to be a Q. <laughs> but uh, the idea that they've they've evolved beyond this concept of, of physical procreation. Uh, what would the prophets say? The prophets were obsessed with the idea of continuing the, their existence and, and seeing this linear existence. So it's a nice little sort of comparison between those two entities, the Q and the Prophets, the idea that they've moved beyond all of that kind of procreation and that the idea of having a baby is so foreign to them. But even the act of having a baby is so foreign to the Q. Uh, so very, very boring. I definitely don't want to be a Q. Janeway says, I'm not going to have a baby with you. I don't love you. And even if I did, I couldn't just give up a child. She's assuming that Q would take them. Q says, however, he wouldn't have looked after it. He's not really cut out to be a wet nurse. Uh, Janeway has this great moment where she just sort of just looks aghast at him and says, oh, so you're willing to have the fun bit, but do none of the hard work. Uh, and Q says, I'm an ideas man. Work isn't in my forte. Uh, it's a great little interplay that they've changed this scene away from talking about messiahs and civil wars and all the serious tone uh, that they've had, even tongue-in-cheek, uh, as it may be. The idea that it, it's just boiled down to this argument between uh, a woman and a man talking about having children, it's quite funny. Speaking as a dad, father of three, the idea of uh, just two people in this bizarre situation having a discussion about who was going to look after the kid, it just seemed funny to me. It tickled my funny bone. Janeway does say, though, you can't just sprinkle in a bit of human DNA. Our humanity doesn't just come from what we're made of. It's about love. It's about compassion. It's not genetics. It's passed on through the stories we tell, 
about the traditions we pass on. And I think this is a beautiful little moment that Star Trek always seems to talk about, that it's our better side is in spite of our nature. It's not because of our nature, that it's a rational side to us that brings out the best in us. The use of our minds, the use of our thinking is what makes us great, not just our, our gut instincts. Now, that's one position to take. That's not necessarily the only position. It's not necessarily the one I agree with as well. Uh, I also believe that our baser instincts can be a positive force for good as well. As Q seemed to think earlier in the other scene when he was talking about war being an engine of change, there can be great goods that come out of bad actions or guttural or visceral actions, but it takes that rational thought to just elevate it that much further. That I agree with. Q is still trying to sell this idea of having a human baby. He said, but you could stay here instead. You could explore unlimited dimensions and some that you've never even imagined. And Janeway does seem to be a little bit tempting. She says, you know, I'd be lying. Uh, that uh, The thought of seeking out whole new dimensions. Uh, now, where's that show? I want to see that show in Star Trek. As we're talking, we've got the Picard show on the horizon. They're talking about a Section 31 show. They're talking about two different kinds of animated shows, a Nickelodeon one uh, and something called Lower Decks, written by the Rick and Morty team. Where's the other show? Where's the Exploring the Other Dimensions show? Because that could get really weird and wacky. That could be really fun. Just going into weird dimensions. You could have your, you know, the new trope that seems to be every TV show has a, a musical episode. You could go to a dimension where that's possible. You could go to a dimension where everything is in verse and everything is looks like a Picasso painting. You, you just don't know what could be on there. I would love to see that show. But that's not what we're talking about anyway. Q then tries to do the, a familiar card to what he has played before and says that uh, I could always try and get your crew home. And Janeway doesn't buy it in the slightest. She says, your credibility is at an all-time low. I'm not going to trust you on that one. Q then says again, but I don't know how to mate. And Janeway just fobs him off and just says, well... You're just going to have to figure that one out, I'm afraid. But she rips a piece of her petticoat off, a bit of white material. And she says, I'm going to wave this. I'm going to surrender under a flag of truce. And we are going to talk our problems out like a proper Starfleet captain would suggest. And off she goes. And we stop at timestamp 33 minutes, 43 seconds. We pick up again at 35 minutes, 51 seconds. We're in a commander's tent. We're on the south side now. Now we're going to meet another queue, a head Q. He doesn't really have a name. None of the other Q in this area have a name. So I've given them names so that it's easier to refer to them. In this case, uh, as it was brought up in Death Wish, he was talking about keeping the status quo. So I'm going to talk about the head Q as status Q. Status Q, he seems to know who Janeway is. He says, ah, oh, Captain Janeway, I presume. Now, they've never actually met up to this point, not in this scene. And looking through the other episode, as far as I know, doesn't actually appear. So perhaps we have to buy into the time that a bit of time has passed. She was captured perhaps on the perimeter, brought in, and the news was passed to him that he knows Janeway. But it did seem a bit of a, an odd idea that he already knows her. We could say he's an omnipotent being, so perhaps he knows it that way as well. But just the way it's written, it just seems odd that he's instantly approaching her in a very friendly way as though they've met a dozen times. He's so condescending. 
you really don't like him from the get-go. He's saying, I'm impressed, a solitary, human, female. He really leads into the female as well. Uh, managed to get through all of our, uh, our areas. It's not safe out there. Uh, I admire your bravery. So condescending. You really don't like this guy from the get-go. Status Q is not a nice man. The time for diplomacy has, has passed, even though Janeway is imploring him to talk and that Q has a way to end this really quickly, that there is another way to, to end this fighting and potentially save her universe from all these supernovas. Uh, it's, what I find interesting is that Status Q isn't interested in diplomacy and talking. You know, the Q time and again have been shown to be infinite. They can experience time in any way they want. Why are words now any different? Now, we were talking back in Death Wish, the idea of censoring ideas and, and not going against the status quo. So perhaps keeping an idea alive to them is a very destructive thing. That it, it, It's almost the same as having a nuclear bomb in your house, that keeping it alive would be a problem. But, but talking your problems out still doesn't seem to be off the table. Uh, and even a status... Q would know that, surely. He talks about how any ongoing fighting would be disrupted to subspace. So he's talking about our reality. So he wants to end it now. And his way of expediently dealing with the situation is to execute Q himself. He is the leader of the Freedom Faction, but Janeway tries to implore and say, well, human history is littered with horrible, tragic events of all these times where uh, brother was fighting brother. And the idea of killing to end it still will not work. She makes a good point, and you would end up martyring and solidifying the idea by killing Q. Status Q does say, well, perhaps if you helped us find him, we could bring it to an end even quicker that way. But Janeway, again, like a true Starfleet captain, doesn't surrender him. Unfortunately, that's all for ill because Q is in the camp. He must have followed her the whole way, and he's already arrested. Status Q very smarmily turns around and says, but we won't be needing your help anymore. But we won't be needing your help anymore, Captain. However, instead of just asking for Q to be put into chains and sent off, he also orders that Janeway be cast in irons as well, because collaborating with the enemy also carries the punishment of death. Now, again, <laughs> really strange. Why are omnipotent beings so afraid of a human being being in their camp? Uh, you know, even he was so condescending to her, saying how impressed he was that she got through being so mortal, but but now they're so afraid of her, they're actually going to execute her as well, collaborating with the enemy. They must be really getting into this fantasy that the civil war is, is actually going on. The next day comes around, uh, it's now daylight, it's not no, no longer nighttime outside, and we're seeing Q and Janeway being led up to a firing line. Q is still trying to make some jokes, and he's still saying, oh, it's very romantic, us dying together. Both characters are given two chances to give their last thoughts, their last final words. Janeway employs not for her own life, because she knows that they, as omnipotent beings, wouldn't see it as important anyway. They would see it as insignificant. But she implores them to raise themselves to a higher standard. That not to use violence to end violence. To be the better Q. This is shot down by Status Q, who then goes over to Q and asks him for his final words. Q, very much out of character, implores that they spare Janeway instead. He says, you can kill me all you want. He's going to die for his values. And that's a big change from what I remember for Q. So I can't wait to see the evolution when we watch all the episodes in proper order. Uh, but I do like the idea that this once irrepressible rebel, uh, this anti-Q, is now standing for something so much better than himself. It's a real nice change. And then to, to ask for them to spare Janeway is fantastic. 
Unfortunately, status Q also said something very interesting as a retort. It says, this time, your rhetoric fails to compensate for your irresponsibility. I find this a great sentence. Because there are times when we've had leaders yeah, across all nations who have got a, such a great sense of rhetoric, who can talk the talk, they can really stir up so many feelings and sentiments with just a few emotive words that really it can cover up a multitude of sins about some pretty poor policies. So I like the idea that we've got a Q who is also the same thing. This man that we've kind of loved for being the rogue. It's just like our everyday leaders here in normal time in the 21st century. The Voyager crew suddenly turn up just as they're about to be shot at in the, the firing squad. The Voyager crew show up and they're using muskets. They're using all of the, the, the different weapons that Q was talking about. So they are using Q weaponry. It's possible for humans to use this stuff. That's a great idea. Now, going forward, if they were ever to bring one of those weapons back into our reality, could that be changed? Could technology take a huge leap forward from this point forward? Now, I don't think that actually happens in, in Voyager, but who knows? That would be a nice little uh, twist if one of those weapons just happened to find its way back to Voyager. As I've mentioned before, I haven't studied Civil War history. I'm not clued into the ins and outs of the events but it did seem quite odd seeing seeing Chakotay in the Yankee uniform in, in the North uniform fighting in the Civil War now I know that the Native Americans from the Civil War period must have got involved there must have been things like this uh, but I would love if anyone is a, a Civil War expert to get back to me with some feedback so that I can actually talk about it as well and, and let me know what the kind of involvement was. Were Native Americans used as scouts? I know that when it came to the Revolutionary War against the British, they were used uh, in a military capacity. Were they more inducted at that point or did they try and sort of stand back and, and stay out of it a lot more? Were the Native Americans so far driven out by even that point that they wouldn't have had any involvement. It, it did seem a, a cultural point, even though it's just a throwaway little scene of Chakotay just meeting the line with Tom Paris. He gets a, a pistol out and starts shooting. But you have a Native American fighting in the Civil War. I just thought that might be interesting. It might just be completely nothing. And yeah, of course they were. And it, It's just a throwaway scene. Uh, but to an outsider watching in, was that a thing? Was that a big issue at the time? Uh, Kim, Harry Kim, comes to rescue Janeway, unties her. They go off to hide behind a tree. Uh, Q's standing there, and we have the female Q that Janeway mentioned earlier. Now, Q, female Q is just called female Q. I don't feel, feel comfortable saying that all the time. I don't know why. It just feels sort of disrespectful to her just to focus on her gender and nothing else. So I am going to call her Kerry. Yes, spelt with a Q. So Q E. R-R-Y, Kerry. Q is now trying to sell the idea of this baby with Kerry. And he's using all the same lines. You're going to be the mother of peace. We're going to be the parents of peace. And Kerry is buying it hook, line and sinker. Now, Kerry is played by Susie Plaxon, who is fantastic. In any role that I see her in in Star Trek, I love her. She is, she is gorgeous in every way. She's so playful with all of the characters that she has. Physically, she's gorgeous, of course. But what I mean is she really gets into that way of thinking and the way she plays Carrie is just amazing. She's so naughty and feisty and you can see 
in the way she's talking to Q that she is every bit his equal. She can really make him atone and pay for what he says. She eventually unties him. Status Q comes over. Tom Paris has taken him hostage and has moved him over. And Kerry is the one saying, call off the fighting. Q and I have a way of finishing the fighting. And it stops. So leave it to a lady to finish it all off. Paris tells everyone to lay down their arms on the Voyager side. Status Q tells the rest of the Q to stop fighting as well. So Q and Kerry are standing there. And Q is saying, right, well, how about it? And then Kerry has a great moment where she just leans in, sort of whispers everything in his head. And Q is just... Uh, loving all the imagery that she's giving him, whatever that might be, because we never hear it. And he just says, I love it when you talk dirty to me. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea that the Q are a little bit uh, a little bit feisty uh, when it comes to matters of love. But uh, it, it's a funny scene. I, I like the interplay between the two actors. They've, they've so clearly got a handle on the character that they're playing. And it's so nice to see. Janeway says, I'm going to leave you now. I'm going to walk away. Q's uh, just in a very pervy way says... Don't you like to watch, Janeway? They take their two index fingers, place them together. There's a little spark, there's a little bit of a glow, and then it's all over. They pretend and break away as if they've just had the most passionate night you can think of. Q even says, I was good, wasn't I? And Kerry just says, yes, you were. And that was it. And Janeway has probably my favourite, most funny moment in this season and just says that was it uh, such an act of disappointment <laughs> on her face a uh, really lovely scene between the two characters again uh, between Janeway and Q who've been at odds this whole time uh, played for laughs but again like I say Star Trek doesn't always have to be so stodgy and dark and horrid it can just be a good fun romp sometimes and that's definitely what this episode was getting at and that's it we're going to stop at 43 minutes exactly on the button. No seconds. And there we have it. Q and the grey. So, impact on canon. Just from this scene alone. Now, I know that there are scenes after what happens here that could have an impact. But just on this scene alone. We are seeing the Q go from a state of what we've always known for the Q into a state of civil war. And then out of it again. So, really, by the end of the scene, not much has changed. The Civil War has ended, and it was raging at the time that this scene has started. But if we were to ignore all the other episodes, we don't know anything about supernovas at this point. Q were stationary, they were in a state of turmoil, and stationary again. There's really nothing there. It's all a big reset button. This doesn't have to happen. Something else could have happened. Some other weird imagery in the episode. The, some prophet-like ethereal discussion that could have happened as well but what actually happens doesn't have to happen there's no sense that this particular scene has to have an impact on canon there's no change to the star trek universe because this happens yes it looks like the war has ended so that we know that that should stop all the supernovas that are a result of the civil war but that doesn't change the way that star trek operates the way the federation operates we know about supernovas we've always known about supernovas Federation history is not changed in any way because of that. Star Trek history is not changed because of any of that. So really, an impact of canon? Not there. Writing. I've found it funny. I thought it was very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I know that there's probably a million rep references that I've missed to Civil War literature and movies and so on that I don't get as an outsider to American history, but I found it entertaining. It was fun. I do love the character of Q. I love the idea of the continuum. So an exploration of what it might look like inside the continuum during a civil war. That's fun to me. That's something that I would come back to all the time. But in terms of what this scene is trying to get across, there's no real clear idea 
going on here. Now, in previous segments that we've explored, there's been a set theme. I think most brilliantly shown in Death Wish, there has been a complete scene of what it means to be outside time. You've got Death Wish that is a debate about personal ethics. You've had Emissary, which was actually more of an introvert journey into the mind of Cisco and where he's been. Even when we had Megas 2, going right back to the first episode of this podcast, you had the idea, you had a notion of a trial going on for humanity and whether they'd grown past it. In this, we've got Q trying to sell having a baby, trying to change history. We've got the idea that maybe war is an engine of change and things like this, but nothing's really drilled down. Nothing's, nothing's put in solidly as the point of this scene. We're just shown that the Q have gone through a civil war and now they're out of it. I haven't seen anything that really goes beyond just a few lines. I haven't seen anything that's really bigger than itself. There's no grander theme to it. So if I were rewriting the scene, I'm going to keep the Civil War aspect going. There are some movies that I sort of know, so I'm going to try and use that as my uh, as my background knowledge for Civil War. In she comes. Q is there. We know that previously or outside of this segment, he's asked her to have a baby because that's the discussion they're continuing here. I think a direct callback to that movie that I already mentioned, Summersby. The idea that he's trying to make Janeway fall in love with him. That we don't see the fighting. We don't see the violence aspect. We play it down a little bit more. Perhaps we have the passing southern soldiers. uh, Just as we have in Summersby. Who are suspicious of Q and what he's doing. And we don't quite trust Q. Even though Q's pretending to be the southern gentleman. The notion of his civil war is actually a little bit more personal. Uh, He's tiptoeing around the rest of the queue, the queue and she has to decide whether she's going to house him and hide him inside the house and, and try and make and try and make a new future for the queue that way not by necessarily having a baby but but discussing how things could change again not relying on violence relying on words and then by the end of the scene it comes about that they discover Q they're just about to kill him so that we've had words and talking this whole time and it's only that almost moment of violence at the very end now it's fun to see the voyager queue the voyager crew storming in with civil war weapons and to see all this this reenactment taking place and seeing the civil war but i think if i were writing it and to try and make it stay on point about having children and trying to resolve things through through diplomatic channels as opposed to violence that I would have kept it that way I would have kept it a much smaller story and gone from there and that we maybe even see Janeway admiring Q at the end not necessarily for acting in a certain way but for talking in a certain way as he does when he implores for them to let Janeway go just at that last moment things like that those kind of scenes it would have been more of that rather than bombastic firing of guns uh, and explosions and things like this. I think I would have kept the story a little bit smaller uh, and gone that way and tried to keep it more focused on the talk of having children and leaving a legacy and doing that sort of thing. So if I were to change the scene, that's probably where I would go. I would have kept it smaller and talk about what we leave behind in terms of children and being a better person a better example to our children as well but that's just me finally on the last review we always see if i can recommend it to fans and whether i can recommend it to non-fans to fans if you like the queue then i can recommend it yes 
But then I could again say that about anything. If you like the Klingons, you like a Klingon episode. If you like this, you like that. In terms of what do we achieve, it is a fun episode. It is a fun scene, but it really lifts out. You don't need to have it at all. There may be further ramifications in Voyager. Again, that's outside of this segment, so we can't talk about it. But just this scene alone, can I recommend it to fans? Not really. It's a fun romp, but it's it's nothing we haven't seen before, done perhaps a little bit better. For non-fans, this could be a bit of fun, actually. I wonder if, if you've seen The Death Wish, which I did recommend to you, and you want to see maybe the outcome of what happened, and you want to get past that quiet Star Trek that I was just pitching as my alternative rewrite, that it was something smaller, done with words rather than actions. If you want to see something a little bit more bombastic, a little bit more fun and tongue-in-cheek and a bit crazy, I think this could actually be quite fun for a non-fan. Someone who doesn't really know Star Trek that well could actually appreciate... They can kind of get their head around that imagery and having the kind of tongue-in-cheek moments between Q and Kerry and Status Q being this this horrible uh, being this horrible condescending person towards Janeway. You can, you can pick up on all these different things. You don't necessarily need to know about the characters you get it all in their performances. So I would actually recommend to non-fans, but not necessarily to Star Trek fans who've lived and breathed this for so long. So there we go. That is the end of the Q and the Grey. Join us next time for episode nine. We're going back to Deep Space Nine. We're going through the wormhole and we're going to Sacrifice of Angels. And we'll be starting at 31 minutes, 59 seconds. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to contact the show, there's now a Twitter account. Search Temporal Trek Podcast at Rider underscore Coattail or contact me directly at Hitch underscore Daniel. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. There's also a website with all of the timestamps you need to follow along. Go to ridingcoattails.simplesite.com and click the Temporal Trek page link. The show is always going to be free, there's no Patreon at all. But, if you wish to financially contribute to the show, feel free to find my books by searching me, Daniel Hitch, on Amazon. And we'll catch you in the next time stream.